Thanks. Thank you, Dan and team. Our kids can head up to be with our team in Redemption Kids. Uh, so right up there, if you're a new parent, you want to escort your kid to Redemption Kids, feel the freedom to do that this morning. And uh, I would like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament, kind of toward the back. We're going to start in chapter 1. If you need the table of contents, feel free to just glance and use it. Uh, find your way to Daniel. And uh, before we jump into God's word this morning, I just want to uh, give a few reasons why I think we need to be celebrating as a church uh, just how God is working in our midst. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, I tend to be like a very visionary forward thinker, like this is where we're going, let's stay the course. And sometimes I'm guilty of just not looking back and not expressing enough gratitude uh, to God for what he's up to. And so as we think about this first kind of, uh, you know, four months of the year, wow, isn't God amazing? Look at what he's doing. How about last Sunday, Baptism Sunday, all of the, the people that shared their stories and were baptized, how amazing was that, huh? Come on. Come on, are you awake today? There we go, there we go. Wow, so beautiful. That's right, you can clap today. You can clap. Um, and just the, the, the momentum from uh, not just this, this year of connecting with people and, and seeing more and more people. I mean, our largest attendance ever on Easter Sunday, and then just people still connecting with us beyond that. Uh, but we're seeing just surprising provision, people that want to serve, people that are moving into leadership, leaders that are moving in like, hey, I want to serve Jesus, and I want to do it right here with Redemption Hill. We're seeing God provide financially for our church in, in new ways, and um, just so encouraged by all of the, the, the stories uh, that we're hearing. And, and most of all, most of all, besides, it's not just, you know, we're, we're not just saying like, okay, how many people are in the seats and, you know, but, but what is God doing in each person's life? You know, our vision for this year is the fullness of God in us, overflowing through us. And I love hearing stories, and I love going to prayer gatherings where people are crying out for more and more and more of God. And then to see those people, their lives are changed, their lives are different, their relationships are different, the way they go to work is different. And so God is at work in our church, and we should celebrate that. We should come with expectation that this God who works is ready to work again in these moments. So let's get ready, and let's continue to respond to God. I'm really excited about uh, this month uh, in terms of our Sunday worship. So uh, today we're coming back and finishing up our work series. Those of you who were here last week know that uh, we jumped up just to really accentuate the stories of baptisms and to, to help people understand the gospel story. We went to Luke 15, the, pro, the, the, the story of the, the, the lost, the prodigal son, and saw how God is a prodigal God. He comes after us relentlessly, loving us, forgiving us, welcoming us home. And then uh, today we're going to finish up this work series, but then next week we're going to gear a message uh, to, to really speak into the lives of, of families and mothers. And that's something that we always acknowledge mothers on Mother's Day, right? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's an unwise move, you know, just for anyone, especially I think at church, to like not acknowledge moms. Uh, but, but I want to bring a message that's really focused uh, to encourage mothers uh, in your calling, in your vocation as a mother. So be here next week. We might have a rose for you, mom. People who are bringing your moms, we might, we might have a rose for her. Come on, that's good. And, and, and even opportunity for you to like take a picture together and, you know, just 
Love on your mom. Um, so it's going to be an exciting Sunday. And then on May 20th, uh, I'm going to invite one of my good friends, Stephen Mook from Rhode Island, to come. He's a pastor of Generation Church. He's going to come and be a guest preacher for us. And, man, this guy walks with God. This guy is in tune with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, he's going to preach God, from God's Word for, for us uh, on May 20th. And then at the end of the month, we'll uh, finally get back into the book of Acts. It's been a little bit of an unexpected, um, you know, delay. Uh, but I think it's, uh, you know, as God's leading us, I think it's uh, where uh, he, he has had us and, and wants us to go. So really just excited about every Sunday uh, as we open God's word and as we worship together as a church. But let me catch you up to speed. If, if you're new or if you just need like a bit of a refresher, um, we, we wanted to do a series on our work lives because as we established week one, uh, uh, we, we spend a lot of time, this isn't a newsflash, right? Like we spend a lot of time at work. In fact, over the next 40 years, if you were to work the uh, average number of hours in, that, that Americans work, you would work 94,000 hours. Wow. And I think this is a topic that the church doesn't talk about enough. It's like the only th the thing about working and being a Christian is that you like try to be a moral person and maybe talk about Jesus. And it's like, no, there's so much more than that. That God is a working God and he made us in his image to work. And we find fulfillment and satisfaction when we spend our lives connecting our work to God's work. And then in week two, we looked at uh, what's known as the doctrine of vocation, that, that God has a specific assignment, a specific calling for us to fulfill, to do what he's made us to do, to serve the people and love our neighbor uh, that he's made us to serve. And so that was week two. Week three, John, uh, Pastor John Chasting did a great job from Colossians 3, focusing in on um, how to make pleasing God the central aim of our work. Some really great truth if you missed that sermon. And then today, what I want to do is this. I want us to think about what does it look like to navigate difficult work environments? I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say that anyone who works hits some difficult moments in the workplace. Am I right? I mean, we live in a broken world with broken people, and consequently, our work will never be free from imperfection. And so the question is not if we're going to face difficulty at work, but the question is, how do we navigate and work through those difficult moments, those difficult seasons to remain devoted to God and to do good work in our workplaces. And so uh, I know this is an issue because I've heard from many of you over the past few weeks. And so let me just share some of the things that you've shared with me, okay, some of the difficulties that you face in the workplace. Um, I think one that probably rises to the very top of the list in our culture is pressure and stress management, all right? So um, there's pressure to perform, pressure to meet quotas, pressure to achieve results, pressure to please supervisors. Anyone just feel a little pressure at work? Like raise your hand, just kind of throw it out there, be bold, thank you. Okay, anyone feel a lot of pressure? Like pastors say, like number one, like that's difficult, thank you. No doubt about it. We face pressure at work. Sometimes it's self-imposed, but a lot of times it's not. It's, it's coming from multiple directions. Um, here's another one. For some, the greatest difficulty at work is the workload, right? 
There's just, there's just too much work to do. And so, as one uh, person said, uh, who's a part of our church, um, I always get out of work late. My work thinks that my life is work and nothing else. Can you identify? Another difficulty at work is, are you ready for this, the people that we work with. I mean, I'm not going to share who said this in case you work with them, okay, just you know, same, but um, my day would be better if they weren't working today. Anyone just going to work with that kind of like, you're looking around and say, like, oh, here we go again. Here we go. God, God help me. Give me grace. I need you. The people we work with introduce difficulty. And then here's just a series of questions. Who has been the victim of unethical work practices? Who has been the victim of the political game that's played in the workplace? Who's been the victim of other people taking credit for your work? Well, let me, let me try to encourage you today, all right? Let me try to encourage you in, in a kind of a, in a, maybe what could be called a backhanded way, okay? Um, if you think you have it bad, just wait till you see what Daniel had to go through, all right? That this man, Daniel, who was a prophet of, of God, who spoke the truth of God, who uh, led as an example to the people of God, uh, he was in a very difficult work environment. In fact, he was removed from his homeland in Jerusalem and carried off into Babylonian captivity by the wicked king Nebuchadnezzar. And the Babylonians or the Assyrians, okay, they were a ruthless group of people. When they went to war, they didn't just like try to kind of like do their job in a kind of a light manner, okay. They were nasty and vicious when it came to the people that they conquered. And so not only did they conquer the area, but they brought some of them back into captivity. And then strategically, they took some of the best in Jerusalem, and they put them to work for them. And Daniel was in this number. And, and so Daniel's story of work, as he worked for the king in Babylon, will help us learn how we can work among the lions in our workplace. And, and, and in Daniel's story, we, we have lions in the sense of, like, metaphorically, a lot of challenges just from his work environment. And yet we actually have a literal, you know, engage with, uh, engagement with lions in chapter 6 that we'll look at briefly here this morning as well. But for us, the, the, the lions in the workplace, it's a metaphorical way of, of representing the brokenness, the difficulty, the challenges that are all around us when we punch the clock. And I wanted to, to bring up this topic today and, and open God's word to address our, our work difficulties because there is no doubt, like we're talking about God's design for us is to be so full of him that we overflow wherever we are. And we're saying we want to overflow in the workplace, but you and I both know that sometimes when you punch the clock, work is so difficult that it makes it increasingly challenging to actually overflow on the clock. And so how do we go about this? What can we do? Let's learn some lessons from the story of Daniel in Daniel chapter 1. I want to read the whole chapter for us, so uh, follow along with me if you will. Listen carefully. Uh, this is what Daniel 1 says. 
In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel, don't miss this, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine, and they were, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. So God, we ask that as we examine the story of Daniel... 
And as we come to your truth, the truth that sets us free and makes us wise, God, help us to be devoted to you in every way, including in our workplaces. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the primary encouragement I want to give you today is to stay devoted in the difficult, all right? Stay devoted in the difficult in order that you might overflow on the clock. And so that we can just say all the time. I mean, this is God's dream for us. This is God's desire and plan for us. And we should strive for nothing less. So you say, well, Tanner, okay, that sounds great. I'd like to do that. But how can you help me uh, from God's word to actually live this out? How can I stay devoted in the difficult? So I want to give you three truths that arise from this text that help us know how to navigate these difficult work environments. And this first one is ultra important, okay? And and that is this. Who you are is more important than what you do. All right? Come on. Thank you, Pastor Reddy. He's he's awake, man. He's alive. Who you are, he's top row. He's like, Super balcony. It sounded really good. Thank you, Pastor Ray. All right. Who you are is more important than what you do. And we see this in the life of Daniel. Okay, Difficult environments often produce sticky situations. And for Daniel, this surfaced because he was committed to God wholeheartedly. Whatever God asked him to do, it was his intention to fulfill that desire that God had. And so when the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, you need to eat my food and drink my wine. There was an immediate confrontation with Daniel's convictions. And so thankfully, we don't have this problem today because in Christ, Jesus declared all foods clean. Okay, and so that means we can go have a meat lovers at Regina's or we can go down to Tenoch and get a, a torta pastor, okay? And people think I ordered that just because I'm a pastor, but I really ordered because I love it, all right? Bring the carnitas and the pineapple and the cilantro sauce. I mean, it's just amazing, all right? Highly recommended five-star sandwich. Um, so we don't like, we don't have, we don't have this kind of problem, but we have other areas where our moral convictions are put on the table and potentially compromised based on how we respond in these difficult moments. And so for Daniel, we see in verse 8, do not miss verse 8, it says that Daniel resolved that he would, listen, not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, now, why is this for Daniel? Just a little uh, Old Testament history and, and lesson for you, okay? Uh, perhaps, we can't know conclusively, but perhaps the meat that the king offered to those servants in training who were potentially going to serve in his court, perhaps they were uh, not in accordance with the dietary restrictions found in Leviticus, uh, which is the third book of the Bible. It sets out the law and all of the, the, the restrictions that God wanted his people to abide by. So perhaps there would be a, a breaking of God's command, or maybe it was that this food was first sacrificed to the idols of Babylon and then brought in to uh, set before these youth. And so maybe it was one of those. Maybe it was a combination of the two. Perhaps it was that Daniel, finding himself in a privileged position to eat the king's delicacies, said, you know what? I am not going to allow myself to enjoy 
all of the king's food when all of my brothers and sisters, the Israelites, are scattered about in captivity and they are in less desirable conditions. We don't know exactly why. We just know that fundamentally it was based on his resolve to honor God. He said that, it says that he resolved not to defile himself. And so listen, uh, I don't know about you, but when difficulty hits, and the more I grow in Christ, the less this is happening, but, but when difficulty hits, when, when challenges, when criticism hits, okay, um, oftentimes my natural inclination is to look around for solutions, right, rather than looking up to God and trusting that what he is doing in me is sufficient to bring me through these challenges, that I don't need a plan B, C, and D, but I just need to stick with plan A, which is God and his desire for my life. And so Daniel refuses to compromise. He remembers the word from Leviticus that we have again in the, in the New Testament. People talk about the Old Testament God is different than the New Testament God. Okay, that's false. That's false. There is one God unchanging. The God of the Old Testament is holy and loving, and the God of the New Testament is the same God, holy and loving. Let me just set the record straight. Hopefully you heard that loud and clear. And so 1 Peter 1.16 says, be holy as I am holy. God's expectation is that we would be holy. In other words, we would be like him. God is pristine in character. He is morally excellent. There is no flaw in God. God is absolutely perfect. And so he made us as moral beings, once again in his image, to reflect his holiness, to reflect his character. Now you and I both know that we don't do that perfectly, but it's God's desire for us. It's his design for us to not defile ourselves. And let me just say this. I think the church in America needs to hear more sermons. And God help me, all right? It's not like, you know, you just hear like, we need to hear more sermons on holiness. Like, like God has a standard, and it's not your neighbor. <laughs> oh, come on, I'm preaching now. Like, God has a standard, and the standard is God. And so we, we look to him, and we would say, God, because you are so perfect, because you are so pure, that I would allow nothing to, are you ready, to pollute, to pollute what you desire to be so pure in my heart. God, that I would not allow anything. You know, like the Bible says, like, let no hint of sexual immorality be found among you. Like, not a hint. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. That's serious. God's, God takes his holiness much more seriously than we take his holiness. And so God has made the human soul, and this is, this, is, this is the shame of it all, right? This is the shame because when we don't talk about the holiness of God and God's intention for us, then we miss out on the beauty of humanity, okay? Listen, God has made human beings. That includes you. When you look in the mirror, there is a sacred soul before God. Sacred soul. 
And so to allow anything that God is saying that will pollute you, that will make you impure, what does that do? That desecrates. Desecrates the people that God has made us to be. And so we need a fresh resolve. We need a fresh resolve to be holy as God is holy. And I just know that the workplace is a great environment for temptation. It is. We cut corners. We fudge numbers. We mistreat the people around us. We return evil for evil. The decisions we make, they're self-serving decisions. We're not trying to put somebody else before ourselves, our our coworkers, our customers, our bosses. Uh, We're just kind of looking out for us. Our actions, our thoughts, our words. Not just in conversation, but like what about those emails? Like I just know how just know how it is, right? It's like I'm sending an email, and so I can be a little sharp in this email because then when, if there is a confrontation, which there's probably not going to be, but if there's a confrontation about it, then I can kind of manipulate the situation and say, like, you can't communicate tone on an email. Uh, you misread it. The joke's on you. And, and it's just like, am I right? As we follow Christ, we have to learn to live in the workplace but not be of the workplace insofar as the workplace doesn't reflect the values of the kingdom of God. So, so let me just be straight. Like if, if your workplace is, is on your job description, it is, is just unethical responsibilities, then my strong encouragement to you would be find another job. Or go to your boss and ask for a different, like, we have to have a clear conscience in our work. And here's the beautiful result. Listen, um, when we are in step with God, we experience the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. And what's the promise? Anybody know the promise? Blessed are the pure in heart. For what? We got to know this. For, For they will see God. They shall see God. I mean, to me, it's not surprising that Daniel, with the resolve to walk in holiness, is in tune with God's desire for him that he would then have the wisdom to go to his supervisor, the chief eunuch, and say, hey, here's a thought. Rather than forcing us to eat this food, how about just let us have some vegetables and water and let's just see how this thing plays out, trusting in God, trusting in his plan. And this is so impressive. This is so inspiring. Why? Not just because the king's food would have been like food network quality, all right? They've been really delicious, okay? Not just because there were probably many of the Israelite youths who were just going ahead and just digging in, okay? Um, Not just because Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have been demoted, okay, and not had the opportunity to serve in the king's court, but this could have cost them their life. It could have cost them their life. You want to talk about working among the lions. You want to talk about difficulty in the workplace. It doesn't get more difficult than this. You say, well, Tanner, that's a stretch. I don't see where you got, you got that. Well, just look at what the eunuch says. He basically said, let me just read it. Uh, back in 
verse 10. I fear the Lord my king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youth who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So, so what this is like, the, the, the eunuch, the supervisor, a.k.a. the boss, is saying, if I follow your plan, I'm laying my life on the line. Which just from the argument from the greater to the lesser, like how much more is Daniel's life on the line? And so I think it's good for us to ask, like, are we willing to stay devoted in the difficult? Even if our devotion means undercutting our own job security. Like, what's more precious to you? What's more valuable to you? Your job security or your integrity before God? What's more important, how much money you make or how closely you can stay in line with God's design for your life? And listen, those aren't always mutually exclusive, not at all, not at all. But they may be. And so in those moments when they are, we have a decision to make, like Daniel had a decision to make. And so the incredible faith that he displays is inspiring. It's inspiring. He knew God. He knew God had the ability to take care of them, give us vegetable and water, and, and, and we believe we'll be in better condition than those who are eating the king's meat. And that's exactly what happens. Ten days later, Daniel and his friends are looking good, all right? They are in shape. And... The story um, is fulfilled in terms of what Daniel and his friends had envisioned. And so, number one, listen, number one, know who you are is more important than what you do. Then number two, here's, here's another just truth that we need to remember, okay? Number two, God is over all that opposes you. Come on. God is over all that opposes you. We, we see this, we have to read carefully, okay, but we see this in verse 2 when it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So, so here's the point. Are you ready for this? Here's the point. God was not asleep. God was not asleep when the Babylonians came in and besieged Jerusalem and they ransacked Jerusalem and they took thousands of people out of Jerusalem into captivity, God was not asleep. In fact, God allowed it and he allowed it in such a way that you could even argue he orchestrated it as a way to wake his people up from their own idolatrous practices. And we see this because even as early as Deuteronomy, Okay, the fifth book of the Bible, a man named Moses in chapter 30, he predicts that the people of Israel would go into exile. And then just years before it happens, Jeremiah and the other prophets, they're saying, hey, if you don't return to God, you're going into exile. You were going to be conquered. And so God is sovereign over all sovereigns. God is king over all kings. God is the ultimate boss over every boss. And we should go into work with this mindset. I mean, this is difficult, and, and things are, I'm, I'm up against it. But listen, even as we're up against it, no matter what the difficulty, 
work, relationships, marriage, parenting. We're surrounded by difficulty. But over all of our difficulty is God, Adonai, ruler, sovereign, judge. And so I want to help us understand here today that it would be a mistake, and this happens all the time. It would be a mistake to read this story and to assume that Daniel is the main character in the story. That Daniel is the hero of the story. Because while Daniel's faithfulness is surely exemplary, the book of Daniel is about the faithfulness of God to continue to pursue his people, even when that means leading them into captivity, and then, yes, through captivity. And so no matter what you're going through, God is able and he is over to bring you through whatever difficulty you're going through. So we keep looking up. We keep looking up. There's, there's no boss, there's no president, there's no dictator that isn't under the hand of God. Did you catch it when we read the Bible reading plan? We're in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians this month. Last month we were in Proverbs, okay? Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. What does it say? The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Well, I want to get on the same team as that God. I want to be on his page. I want to follow his ways. God is over every, and so this gives us confidence, right? We see this as we continue to read through Daniel, okay? We, we see um, how God sends Nebuchadnezzar dreams, and then Daniel interprets those dreams, we see how God humbles the, the proud king in chapter 4. We see how that uh, he causes when the, 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 the next king, uh, Belshazzar, is throwing a party in his palace, a great feast. And, and then there is handwriting on the wall, a handwriting, many tekel, tekel shekel or something like that. It's in chapter 5. Just correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and it's like, and, and that is a sign of God's judgment. You've heard writing on the wall, writing like It's right here. God is sovereign over all kingdoms. Even to the point that we get into chapter 6, and Daniel is, is uh, being undermined, okay, and, and set up to be framed in the situation from his evil co-workers who were envious of his rising status in the kingdom, that they convinced the king to make a new injunction that says, anybody who prays to another god must receive the death sentence. That's what's going on in chapter 6. And so what does it say in verse 10 of chapter 6? When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, okay, like it's happening, the death sentence is on the table. When the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Can we wake up tomorrow morning and just spend some time in prayer? Wow. Devoted, even at the risk of his own life, knowing that when he was thrown into the lion's den that God was able to save him out, and even if he didn't, that he would go to be with God. 
Daniel's love for God was more precious than his own life. And so God is, God is working. And he, he, of course, then if you're familiar with the story, just let me not miss this. Um, verse 22 of chapter 6, my God sent his angels and shut the mouth of the lions. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. God protected him. He saved him in the lion's den because God is sovereign over every sovereign. There is no plan that a man can make that if God wants to override it or thwart it, that it will come to pass. I don't know about you, but that helps me when the difficulty hits in the work environment. No who you are is more important than what you do. Know that God is over all that opposes you. And then number three, I love this. I love this. God uses our work to tell of his work. And I think we need to learn some lessons here because this is one of the most challenging questions for Christians in our culture. How do I live out my faith in Christ amongst a group of people, amongst supervisors that probably or most certainly see the world differently than I do. It's such a taboo. Like, we can't talk about faith at work, and I might get fired. And, I, and I'm not saying, like, to not pay attention to those things. I will say that I think we fear more than we think we, 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 we need to. We fear more than we, we need to. But, but how do we represent, like, Daniel is representing God in such a, an unashamed way that the people around him know it's unmistakably clear this guy follows Adonai, Yahweh, God. And so what would it look like for us to, 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 to live our lives for God in such a way that, that people can see our commitment to Christ and they can even be pointed to a relationship with him as well. Because here's the, and it, like, the, the, like the church. I'm just talking about Redemption Hill Church. Okay, this is my prayer for every church in Boston. This is my church for, prayer for every church around the world. Okay, Is that we would get this right. That we would understand that God wants it. Like, th- there's never a time, speaking of time and speaking of work and speaking about representation. Okay, there's, a, there's never a time when we punch out from being a Christian. You're not a nurse. You're not a realtor. You're not a software engineer. You are a Christian nurse. You are a Christian realtor. You're a Christian software engineer. We never clock out. And so when that happens, when we come in with this mentality that that I am who I am, this is who I am. I can't shake. It's the most important thing about me. It's my identity. I am a Christian first. So when I go into the workplace, I am a Christian, and, and I'm not going to hide that. When that happens, okay, when that, and I'm going to give us some, some guides on that. But when that happens, listen, the, the nine-to-five movement becomes very possible, even can become a reality. And I believe that God is not going to send revival to the church and awakening to the city until we are willing to represent Jesus in the nine-to-five or the ten-to-two or whatever your schedule is, Right? So how do, we, how do we go about this? 
I know it's hard. In fact, one of the greatest difficulties someone said is having the confidence to speak about Christ when so many people don't believe in him. Tim, 10 verses 1 is pretty intimidating. Your words, and I affirm those words. And for some of you, you know it's not 10 to 1. It's like 50 to 1 or 100 to 1. And so, so it's our job to, like Daniel, to, to, to be so devoted to God that God could use us. Are you ready for this? Could use us to see the 10 to 1 become 10 to 2. To see the 10 to 2 become 10 to 3. And so how do we do that? Let me just give you five ways to try to, to, to lean into this, okay? Number one, do not, okay, do not be a silent Christian. Do not be a silent Christian. You cannot be fired for being a Christian. All right, if you fail on number two, you might get fired, but we'll get to that in just a second, all right? Uh, so, so, like, it's, you, we live in a, in a culture that cannot and should not discriminate hiring or even firing based on religion, right? It's just the laws of our land. And so uh, we don't have to be silent. And, and what this means is, like, Man, when you're talking to your coworkers, what's going on this weekend? Like, can, can we not just say, like, hey, I'm hanging with a fam, and I'm going to go to the, the game, and I plan to watch the Celtics, and, and then Sunday I'm going to go to my church? I mean, that's like breaking the silence, right? It's like, hey, what's going on Tuesday? And I was just having a member conversation with uh, Gernsley, and she said this is how she, like, tries to represent Jesus in her workplace. She's not being silent. It's like when it's Wednesday night, I'm going to my, my, my community group in, in Medford at the Reddies. That's a good step. Do not be a silent Christian. On top of that, uh, I hope you appreciate this, do not be an obnoxious Christian. <laughs> Don't be an, like, and most of us aren't in danger of this, but in case you are, here's what I mean. Like, don't go to CBD, Christian Book Distributors, okay? Grab a case of 24 Bibles on the first day of work, just Plop them down and start, like, stand on the box, mini sermon, then start distributing them around the office, okay? Like, that's probably going to be obnoxious. That's probably not on your role description. So we're wise. Like, this is what Jesus, what was Jesus saying? Like, wise as serpents, innocent as, as doves? Like, like, build friendships. Let me, let me keep moving. Uh, number three, do good work. Like Daniel was doing good work. The favor of God was on him. He was excelling in his work. He kept rising up the ranks because he was actually gifted by God, favored by God to be intellectually keen, to be physically strong, and to be uh, sensitive spiritually and emotionally to where he was doing excellent work. And listen, when you do good work, you give Jesus a good name. And when you do good work, people are going to be more apt to listen to you when you actually talk about matters of faith. Do good work. Number four, be a good friend. And this is how we can not err on the extreme of obnoxious side, okay? But then we can come back and not be a silent Christian either. But we can build friendships. And when things are going on in the workplace, in life, we can be that sounding board that people come to and say, hey, this is what's going on. What do you think? And then because we're walking with God and we actually read our Bible that morning, we've been praying, we can like lean into some biblical wisdom, even if we don't like immediately say, hey, you know, uh, John chapter 10 verses 15 says, boom, you know, like giving biblical wisdom, getting to the, to the Bible. Like sometimes we shouldn't ease in, but sometimes we need to ease in. And it takes wisdom and being led by the Holy Spirit to know how to navigate that. But just being a good friend is, is, a, is, a, is a key in, 
in representing Christ in the workplace. And then finally, listen, create and take opportunities to talk about Jesus. And so it may be taking a coworker to lunch. It may be giving God the credit when things are going well. It, it may be that, that piece we just talked about, being ready to give people wisdom when they come to you. Listen, there are endless opportunities. I promise you there are endless opportunities to represent Christ in your workplace. Wisely step into them and take advantage of them. Don't you know, like, do you think, let's just go back to that sermon number two on vocation, all right? Do you think that Daniel had an assignment and a calling from God to be in the king's court? Yes or no? Yes. Do you have any less of a calling where God has placed you? No. 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 God wants to use you right where you are to do great work, to point people to him, to love your neighbor through your work, and to help people see the goodness and the glory of God so that in our work, we can point people to the true and greater Daniel, Jesus Christ, who entered the most hostile environment, who not only did his work under the threat of death, but actually died for us. So that at the very end of his life, as he's praying to his father, he prays in John chapter 17, verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And as he hung on the cross, his dying words were, it is finished. The work is done. And so may we reflect him. May we be empowered by him to do the work set before us and do it in such a way that we're doing it for God and we're doing it for the good of others and we're actually finding a lot of fulfillment, even in the difficulty, because God is just that good. So what I want to do is this. I want to invite Dan, the team, to come up, or actually just maybe Dan's going to lead us in a, in a bit of reflection and song. And, and I've asked a few people to, to form a prayer team for us this morning. And I just, if you just want to sing and reflect, sing and reflect. But I know, I know that there are some ways that you need prayer so that you can overflow on the clock. And so if my prayer team would come on down, I just want to invite you. Listen, if there is a difficulty you're going through at work, Come forward as we sing to receive prayer. Maybe you need work. Maybe you're looking for a, a different uh, opportunity. W whatever it is, maybe you're just saying, I want to excel in my work and, and be all that God has made me to be in the workplace. No matter what it is, would you come forward and receive prayer as we sing and respond to God, however he leads you here this morning. God, thank you that you are a good God who calls us to do good work. And, Father, I pray that these wouldn't just be empty words today. I pray that it wouldn't be just like a month of, uh, of sermons on the calendar that we, like, we should talk about that. No, God, we want you to change us. We want you to move us to do our work for your name, to, to worship you in our work, to love our neighbor in our work, to, to be excited, to actually be excited to wake up Monday morning and punch the clock. And so, God, I pray that you would free us, God, whatever's holding us back, whatever temptations we're facing in the workplace, God, that you would give us a resolve to be holy as you're holy. 
God, our lives are in your hands and our lives are for you. And so, God, would you move us, God? If anybody needs to step into the life of Christ today, would they do that today, even coming forward to receive that prayer today? God, however you lead us, God, move us. Move us. For your name we pray.